Welcome one and all once again to the Man of Steel cast for the Man of Steel, the final entry in the Sudo Saga. Um, Man of Steel hit theaters this past Friday with Henry Cavell and Amy Adams in the role of Superman and Lois Lane. Uh, but before we get to this movie, let's introduce our panel of super fanatics. We have David. I still believe a man can fly. And we have James. Who doesn't want to be introduced? I don't know if I care either way anymore. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> so, yes, uh, we've all seen uh, Man of Steel um, now. So, we all, we're, we're, we're kind of here. It's kind of fresh in our minds. I think you folks have seen it in the last 24 hours. I saw it a couple of days ago, so I've gotten time to sit on it. I even wrote up a review on the site, which pretty much does give away all my thoughts, but. <laughs> I, I read that review, by the way. I thought it was very good. Yeah. It, it seems like everybody, you know, everybody has different, this. Is, it, we, we will get this out of the way. It's a very divisive film, which I've always been a huge fan of. Of any product, I feel that like, this film is really, it gets almost 50 50 on, on Rotten Tomatoes. It can go either way. People love it, people hate it. It seems very few people are in between. And I always enjoy that because then people go in with no expectations because there's no general consensus. There's no like, oh, this great film's great, this film's terrible. It's like, yeah, you can go either way with it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that shows something interesting about people maybe not understanding Rotten Tomatoes is that it's averaging out what percentage of the reviews are positive. So it's basically saying a little over half of the people who reviewed this movie liked it. So it's not saying that this movie is necessarily a 5 out of 10. It's saying half the, about half the people liked it, half the people did it, which in a way, because it is so divisive, I do think it is worth watching. That does not mean, and we'll get into this later for the next however long it takes, but that does not mean I am recommending it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I, I would say I always kind, I always would recommend a film this divisive just because, again, there's no, it's hard, I mean, like, it's going to depend on the person, honestly, but there's really no system to say, like, you know, there's certain films like Toy Story, I think they're all like 99s or 100s on Medic, um, Rotten Tomatoes. So you're always going to say, that is a great movie, there's no real division, there's no, like, uh, you know, like, if you don't like it, you're kind of the outlier in that general franchise. We're here, it's like, yeah, your team hated, your team loved it, but you're a team. There's nobody coming out of this movie kind of indifferent to the entire experience. Yeah. Except for James, apparently, so who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's, let's, let's get this on the way. Just as a general warning, if you haven't figured it out or you won't figure it out, this is going to be filled with spoilers of the film. So if you haven't seen the film yet, I honestly don't know why you listen to a podcast about it beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just me. So viewer discretion advised. <laughs> Yes, and that apparently goes to the movie as well, because that was one of the things James came out with, is that he would not take a seven-year-old to see this. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's. I think that's more an issue in general with a lot of superhero movies nowadays, but these aren't being made for kids, and considering most of the stories are pretty simple character pieces, and just taking away some of the darker or more bleak tone aspects could make them work. I mean, if you're not making simple character movies about super here about space aliens in tights who punch other space aliens while flying around then why are you bothering to make them at all uh, i think that that's that's I, I think that that's kind of painting with a broad brush yeah and i think we'll get into that in a bit because i disagree i honestly don't see like i've seen a lot of people talk about this movie being dark and peak and and i didn't get it 
maybe I just have a different expectation of what those words mean, or <laughs> I, I I am desensitized to it in a way. But I didn't find any of that to be true with the, with this film. But um, that's near the end. That's you know, we'll right. do that in the general wrap. I guess we'll start off where we always start off with Superman Origins on the planet Krypton. Um, which apparently I can't spell, but um, <laughs> yeah. So this was. I found this very fascinating. I guess, especially after watching Superman during this show, it's. I guess they wanted to start this thing off with an action set piece. Because... I don't remember Krypton ever being this action-packed in any version of the origin. It's a giant chase with, like, flying dinosaurs and spaceships and lasers and all this other stuff. There's this fist fight between Zod and jor There's people being murdered. Yeah. It, it starts off really just letting you know this is what you're in for, and that's perfect. It's just perfect because it, it gets... it. You sort of sit at the edge of your seat and you never never leave it, you know? I, it, 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 I mean, like, watching the scene and kind of going back to, in my head on all of the things they've shown, like Detroit and commercials, it makes sense because a lot of the action set pieces they actually show do come from this opening segment. But, like, I'm just so accustomed to Krypton, like, that part of the story being so kind of grounded in emotion and the fact that they're all facing the imminent death. It was just really something different to start it off with this giant action set piece. But it does help establish a lot of stuff, especially, I think, the character of Zod, who is much different than the Terrence Stamp version we got in Superman 2. Yeah, what did you think of Michael Shannon and Zod? I am of two minds. I think the character is interesting in the sense that he's not a... He's not a villain. He's somebody who has a mission that he's doing everything to carry out, and his mission is noble. He wants to bring back his race of people. His, you know, his life mission, his life goal, as we'll get into with this film, the whole thing about predestiny, is that he is there for the protection of Krypton, and if Krypton's not around, what is his purpose? So he's trying to bring it back at the cost of mankind, which we'll get to later. I think his mission's noble. I think he hands it up a bit too much at times. Uh, see, I think he's one of the few things that definitively absolutely works. Like, I really... I'm not quite sure. I'm still trying to deal with my problems with the character, but I think Michael Shannon really sells him really well. As this, You know, he is a broad, angry military leader who is, much like Jor-El, has his frustrations with the way Krypton's been run, and in turn, you know, does what he does, and then suffers the consequences for it, and in turn, then ultimately leads into where the movie goes from there. So I think Michael Shannon is one of the things that absolutely works. I think he works. I think he's a compelling character. He has a pers- you know, he has a personality to him. I just do think that there are certain key scenes where he just, I, I just can't take him seriously. Like the part again with Krypton, where he's selling at Jor He's like. No, not Jor-El, um, Yara. And he's like, I will find him! Well, I, I got I got his, his drive, but I did feel like he was overselling it. Yeah. yeah I, I think, and, you know, kind of going... I, 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 I'm, going I'm terrible with names, but his second-in-command, Fiora? Fiora? Yeah. Fiora? I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. She was a lot more underspoken, and I think she added a great counterbalance to him because she just had this very dark, 
presence to her. Like, you felt bad when she was on the team because something was going to happen. I, 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 I hated her so much, which is a testament to how much I liked her in this role. Because every time she came onto the screen, I was like, not her again. Because, I, I, you know, like that's when you know that you're the best bad guy. Yeah, because you knew so. Like when she came on the plane on the climax, I'm like, crap, why are you going? She's <laughs> everybody. Yeah. And again, we'll get to that in a bit. But even like when that guy's running from her, I'm like, yeah, it's funny. Somebody does a smart thing. She kicked your ass in the earlier fight scene. Get away from her because you know you can't fight her. Yeah. And then you find out what he's going to do. And it's like, oh, that's badass. Yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, I you know I think she's great. I think Zod for the most part is great. I think his best scenes, oddly enough, are the ones with uh, the dead Jor-El or the conscious Jor- or the ship Jor-El, whatever you want to call him. Jor-El who gets around. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of his consciousness. Yeah, which I, I, which again I find I kind of find hokey. But we've been through Superman one, two, and Returns at this point where Jarrell apparently is all-knowing and all-seeing and always existing. So it didn't come out of, you know, it didn't seem that out of the face in the Superman's all for me. It's just that, like, I don't know how smart this dude was that he planned for everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, did, what did you guys think, though, of the design choices that they kind of went with for Krypton? I mean, I the, the fact uh, that there was, like, all of these animals and things kind of in it. I, I, I dug it because it gave Chris, Krypton a personality. It is, again, it's an alien planet, so it makes sense that, you know, they they can do anything they want. And it's kind of a mixture of like, futuristic and prehistoric for us because it's, it, okay, dinosaurs and stuff, but they, it, it's all science ships and everything's above ground. So it's like the Flintstones meets the Jetsons. Yeah, I do love the design, like the, the general design and look of Krypton for the most part. The problem is, the color scheme. Why is everything in muted, dull grays? I don't know. Just- that, that's something I've noticed about films in general lately. I've noticed that a lot of films have been going over to that. That must be something that they switch over to in the editing process or something. Oh, they do. But, I mean, personally speaking, I took it, and they mentioned this in the film, I took it because they had depleted all of Krypton's natural resources, that it was just showing a planet that was drained of any type of life. Well, I think it worked there, but when they got back to Earth and it was in Metropolis, it was still grayscaled. Yeah, I, I, that that is something I, I noticed that again with, and I think this is partially probably the knowing them too, because it's the same thing with the Batman films, where the first one's really orange and the second one's really blue. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess it's just a thematic thing that it, I, I I agree with you. I hate films that are just kind of off, like either, either oversaturated or just off color. It looks weird. I guess everybody's still kind of living in the Matrix era. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. It's one yeah. of those things where I felt post-Avengers that people were finally going to not be afraid of injecting color into superhero movies again. I mean, I thought we had finally moved away from the 2000 X-Men era dull gray kind of thing. And it just sort of feels like we're just going backwards with muting everything. I would say, I mean, overall, I didn't have a problem with that in this um, movie. I think it worked for the most part. Um, I don't remember. I mean, outside of Krypton, which it made sense, and I think probably the climax where we'll get into that on its own with the destruction of Metropolis. I think the color scale works for the most part. I wasn't, I was never like, this is too dark or this is too, you know, saturated and browns and grays or whatever. Right. But but I but I did I did enjoy 
Krypton. I thought it was such a different take on it. I've never seen anything like this before. I, I guess I'm just too used to it from the uh, from the Riviera films, but I, I was just too used to it as like a crystallized everything. And so heading into this, it was like it gave it such a different feel that it felt so so cool, really, because it did feel like an alien race. Like their technology that they kept using throughout the film, like the uh, like the. Uh, robot assistant yes like all all of that technology where it was like it, it felt like like they were on the screen and they're they're they were sort of like morphing into sort of a 3d image like all of that stuff was to me really cool throughout it yeah and that i mean and that's that's i mean that's the thing i mean krypton has always kind of been paid up as an advanced human society they were a bit arrogant which is why they end up destroying their planet but it was always kind of paid up as this thing that's beyond you know mankind and, and the film does a great job of showing it and does a great job of continuing it when we get throughout the movie a more kryptonian technology makes its way to earth yeah um some of this stuff is a bit goofy like the world builder yeah but <laughs> to, to, to me the world builder felt like something that you would use for the apocalyptic technology and dark side but I mean, they can't all be winners. The ships and the robot companions were cool. Yeah, one but, thing um, I actually noticed, not in, um, only partially, really, was that uh, a couple months ago I'd actually seen a commercial um, for like some kind of Man of Steel stretchy action figures, and they actually showed like that. They didn't call it the World Builder; it was like some, like some kind of gravity well thing, which was what it did. And I thought that was very amusing that. A, tel- a toy commercial made several months before any of the merchandise was going to be on shelves sort of spoiled what the big climax uh, set piece was going to be. Well, to be fair, if you were to go back and watch that, they spoil a lot of the end stuff. Like, the commercial with the, I think he's cute. Yeah. Um, that's, like, yeah. one of the final... That's the second thing I've seen in the movie. <laughs> yeah, as someone pointed out, um, I know when Amazing Spider-Man came out last year, someone actually pieced together every trailer and promotional clip release, and they actually got a pretty functional 20-minute compressed version of the movie. And I, I think you could actually do that here. I think... Oh, yeah, somebody did it for Man of Steel. I think it's something like 11 minutes of the film has been shown. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I could believe that you could watch that, and then you basically have the plot condensed down and be able to basically tell what was going on. I mean, Warner Brothers was re- is really hoping this thing is going to be a hit. And Well, this is going to set up uh, the, the DC universe as we know it. And we do get yes, hints at that. I think it can. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and, and, and after Krypton explodes, we get... I thought this was a nice touch. They just get the entire spaceship dying to Earth and, you know, him being discovered. And the next time we see him, he's an adult. And then this film kind of takes a Batman Begins approach with this origins, where we just kind of flashback to key scenes throughout his life at random points of the movie. And I think for the most part... Personally speaking, I think the flashbacks were my favorite part of the movie. I loved, I loved the parts where where it went back to his childhood and sort of showed you who he is, because that's the kind of stuff that I personally like, just the character development. So yeah. to me, the fact that they were moving along the story and then they were also giving you these these key things and sort of his uh, who he is and why he is who he is to me that was perfect. It worked. The OU one I had issues with, and it wasn't because it was a bad scene. I just thought it was a bit redundant. Was the one, the final one, actually? No, not the final one. The second last one, where he gets into a, where he almost gets into a fight, and he doesn't hit the kid back, and his dad's like, "I wanted you to hit." And I'm like, they kind of covered that earlier with the bar scene, where it's like, 
yeah, we know he's not going to use his powers against average people because he knows he can hurt them. So I doubt that that one was a bit redundant since it's kind of the same concept of he doesn't use his powers in all situations because he knows he has to be responsible with them. Yeah, that I I didn't really think about that, but yeah, that is a little little redundant. Yeah, I was pretty confused at what the point of that was since they did sort of establish that he had restraint in that regard at that time. Uh, other than that, um, in terms of the flashbacks, I think they work with, within the context of themselves and that first half of the movie. Like, just taking on their own merits as setting up a character, I think they work pretty well. I think it's more, and we'll get into it later, sort of when it, what, what it, the things it sets up and then pay off don't really connect very well, and I think that sort of undoes them. But on their own, I think they're really great. I think they're really solid. Um, Kevin Costner, I mean, yeah, he's he is really, really good as Jonathan Kent. Yes, I think he's good, too. And I will say Diane Lane as Martha Kent, I think, is probably going to be like one of the most unspoken roles in this film, because I thought she did a fantastic job. She did so good. I loved, I loved every scene with her. Yeah, and I feel like that's never something... Like, Ma Kent kind of gets brushed over a lot of times for Pa Kent. And yeah. I think it's the same thing with Jor-El and Nora. It's like, everybody thinks of his father figures, but I think she was fantastic. Um, I mean, it, it, even in her first scene with the whole, you know, my voice is an island and, and swim out to that, that was a great little touch. Yeah. And, again, something that paid up later on in the film, because that's one of the weaknesses he exploits with... Um, Zod and his companions is that they aren't adjusted to the Earth. Their powers on Earth being overexposed, and that's something he learned from a young age, and it's something, again, they set up and pay off later on. But yeah, she was fantastic in this film, and I hope, you know, a lot of people give her that credit. Yeah, my favorite scene with her her was when Clark comes back and she says, well, look at you. I don't know, like, that to me just catches every mother and son relationship. And it yeah. makes and it makes you feel like, you know, even Superman has a mom. And that's something that I don't really feel that I've experienced in a Superman story. I, I mean, again, it's one of those things where... Because a lot of times she's just kind of played as like, this old woman on the farm mourning her. I think Smallville does a good job of that as well. Because when John Pa can die, she becomes like a senator and stuff like that. So she has ambition, she has goals, she's smart, she's intelligent. And she's played so warmly in this film. She even stands up to the bad guys at one point. So <laughs> I thought, wow, this is she. She was really playing her cards here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so, so what did you guys think though of it going non-linear in the storytelling? I prefer it because we mentioned this with Superman the movie is that it's forty-five minutes before Christopher Reeve shows up before he dons the costume, and if you're going to do an origin tale, I. I think it's better if it's kind of interspersed throughout the film instead of doing it straight linear, because an origin on its own can kind of be tedious and boring, especially if it's one that's from in that's been done dozens of times before. Mm-hmm. So this way, it's like you know we'll kind of we'll put in the the key parts, like even some of like the flying stuff was something they saved for him until he was an adult and not something here and as a kid. And you got to see him do superheroics. And, you know, they were able to get action set pieces into there. I would mention just kind of... Because I mentioned I thought that the second last flashback was redundant. I also think the first major action scene with him is kind of redundant. The all-tanker scene. <laughs> yeah. I I actually... I I don't know. I really like that scene. Because I felt like it was starting to... Uh, 
to to really challenge the character. I mean, it was when he was grunting and you know lifting it up. I, I thought, and and he and the other and you know he everyone else is evacuating and he's there and you see the steel buckling underneath his feet. I thought, wow. You know, like, like this is actually, they're, they're making it like this is actually a feat for him. Normally, they would depict this like, you know, I mean, if Superman returns, a bullet bounces off his eye, doesn't even blink. <laughs> We're going to talk about that scene again. But, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's a coup to kind of get in there, but I mean, overall, it doesn't add anything to the film. And yeah. for a film that's over two and a half hours, I think trimming would have been key. Yeah, it's one of those things where I think it is a well-put-together scene on its own. Unfortunately, I don't think it works within the context of a larger story. Because, I mean, right now we're sort of setting up that this is a super... That at this point, Clark has been established as someone who's not re- fully ready or willing to use his powers yet. I mean, a lot, part of the big whole point of Pa Kent's role was setting up, you, you have to keep this a secret, you have to keep it hidden... You will be rejected and hated as a result of this. So having that him just use it for this random scene of heroics early on feels re- really sort of breaks some of the character arc that they try and go with in the movie. And that's re- and it really feels like they threw it in because they wanted to remind you, oh, don't worry, this is the Superman movie. It's going to have action. It just doesn't work story wise. Yeah, I, I I can get what they're going for. Like, it, because he had the whole awkward part, Kent. It's like he, even with that advice, he still kind of throws himself into danger, and then he just kind of disappears. I mean, that kind of sets up, you know, it sets that up, and it also sets up. It always is arc in the first half of the movie where she's trying to hunt down this guy who's done all these superheroes and just kind of disappeared. But overall, I think it would have been just as easy to get rid of that scene. Well. Maybe, but it, 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 to me, it did kind of set up though the whole, and this is to me actually one of my favorite parts of the movie was a hobo Superman, was the concept of him just kind of moving from place to place, kind of going from thing thing. He saves someone, so now he has to leave the area. I really, really like that. Oh, I like that too, and that's something that they kind of took took from Birthright. Yeah, um, I, I like the idea that he's just moving from place to place. It's kind of, you know like <laughs> I wouldn't say home hobo but more nomad and that he can't stay to to out of place too long because he he has to use his power eventually and he gets discovered um which brings us to the other scene which i already dug which was the bar scene which we mentioned earlier was the scene that kind of sets up that he has restraints with his power that doesn't mean he can't be a dick with them <laughs> it, re- it really reminded me of that superman 2 where he comes back and beats the dude up in the in the diner because this yeah. is sort of that same petty kind of I got you thing that I felt like. To me, actually, I thought it was funny and everything, but actually, I didn't really like this. Yeah, I feel the same way. It feels like a really weird, out of character. Moment. Like, I haven't, like, like, there isn't really any way that they sort of set him up as a guy who has, um, you know, he, he doesn't, they haven't set up a person who feels conflicted about what, about them using their powers for good and then for, you know, sort of being a, a jerk. So this point just seems, you know, it just goes from, man, that guy seems cool. And then, and, you know, with, with the oil tanker scene to, man, this guy's a jerk. And it really doesn't seem, neither of them seem to work particularly well. Well, yeah, I, well, I did think it was conflicting. I didn't know that, I, I didn't feel that it didn't work. I just felt that it was a little, I, I felt a little like it was misplaced, but... Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, the only thing I will say is that it got a genuine laugh out of my audience. 
people enjoyed the scene for that, so... As did mine. But I, I guess that's why it was there. And, I mean, I, I don't think it was out of character in the sense that he didn't really have a... Like, he's not going to use his power to beat up people, but if he can kind of get some type of revenge, that's cool. Um, and then we're kind of introduced... I forget if... I think it's before the scene, but we're introduced to Amy Adams, as I was saying. So good. Yes, from the... From the moment she gets on screen, I love her. Um, I guess I get writer's frack if I'm not wearing her frack jacket. Yeah, but that was actually, though, the first line that gave me a little pause because I didn't I didn't feel like she was... I felt like she was reading the line. She wasn't saying it. But then she quickly put me to ease at the, like in the very next scene. I just said, this is Lois Lane, and she's probably the best we've ever seen on the big screen. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have Margaret Kidd in the role, but I feel like Margaret Kidd... Uh, that didn't have, I don't want to say the balls, but she de- she's not as central to the action as Amy Adams is in this film. Like she, you see that she's a journalist who kind of puts herself in danger, and she knows when to back off, because she kind of sits on the Superman story when she finds out that Clark Kent is Superman. Well, when she finds out who Clark Kent is. But, like, you know, doing that whole the thing with the ice where she she follows him into the cave where like honestly speaking if I saw a cave in the middle of nowhere I would probably turn back and tell somebody and have them go investigate with proper equipment and stuff like that right yeah I love Amy Adams and I love her as Lois Lane in this movie for the most part but it really it really feels like she wasn't originally in the script, and they had to sort of find a way to put her into it because it's a Superman movie. You've got to have Lois in. Because I mean, I keep going over it, and I think and, and I realize that most of the things she does that further the story along would have happened on their own without much difficulty without her. Like what? Um. You sort of mean like her? Yeah, you talk about. Her, you know, she le- Well, all right. Well, she, she, of course, yeah, she learns the Clark that Clark Kent. Did he disappear for you too? Yes. Okay. Keeps his secret because she realizes that it would be bad to be told. But if you remove that, you still have the same thing of who is this guy what you know of the general population of Earth saying who is this guy and why is he hiding among us I mean you could take her out and really the whole Daily Planet thing entirely and you really don't lose a lot of the general story there I can, I, I, I can see where you're coming from but I disagree because I, just, I felt like it, it kind of pulled in sort of, sort of who he's been and where he's been and what he means to people yeah and I also think it adds to the element of his, him eventually becoming Superman is that she's the first human who isn't his parents who he earns to openly trust with his secret. I mean, there are other people who find out, of course, but usually that means he has to go away or they think he's strange or bizarre. She's kind of the first person who realizes the danger it poses to him if something like this was to come out, and I think that's important. I kind of I can agree with you at the on the first half of the movie where it seems like it's two different movies, but that happens. It's two different movies that's going to have to intersect at some point, and then it becomes one linear story with both of them in key roles at key points. I mean, yes, it does diverge because they have to do different things and they have different roles, but I think she's very vital to this film. Right, and what I think was the especially vital to the film was the my father believed that if the world found out about me I'd be an outcast what do you think which sort of introduces sort of the meme of the whole the whole film which is so so how would you take the man of steel how do you feel about him 
And so I felt that that otherwise really her character helped kind of set up that whole thing. So so I, while I see where you're coming from, I don't necessarily agree. I think the whole arc of humanity slowly coming from fear and then accepting Superman would probably have worked better if they didn't have someone like um, Lois who did immediately accept him. Like if it was everyone slowly coming to realize, okay, this man this man can be trusted, then I think it would have worked a lot better. Uh, well, that should be noted, though, that she didn't know that he was an alien. She just knew that he, there was something bigger to him. Well, yeah, and, but she knew he was something strange and otherworldly about him in a way or another. Yeah, and I feel like, and I think it works for the ocean. I think we kind of seen this throughout the movie with, like, the tanker scene and uh, stuff like that, is that it works on a per-case basis if you know Clark and if you meet him. Yeah, you think he's strange, but you also realize he's there to help people. I think it's a lot different when it's like the entire world learns about it. Because even when Perry, when she gives the story to Perry, Perry's like, you know, like, I can't print this because half of it sounds like made up crap, and it's going to cause panic if people hear about it with no evidence. Yeah. But you know, like Perry doesn't like he never disproves it. He never says like I don't believe this story. And, and but, in the contrast, yeah, what, she show is because she sits on the story, and he knows that means she found something special. But the one thing I did love was when he said, I will never print a story about aliens. I thought, oh, you're going to regret that one. <laughs> I, 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 I was going to say, I like the fact that she goes behind his back and gets it put up anyhow, because yeah. that's kind of the always I wanted. You know, like, yeah, like she's, going, she's going to get orders, and she's going to dismiss it, because if she wants a story, she's going to get a story. And I like that it went around and kind of bitter in the butt for her for it as well. Yeah, I do like the depiction of Lois. I just think it needed to be integrated into the core story better. Like maybe if they had set up earlier on that before she was sort of tracking down this mysterious man that she had heard of, like that seemed to be what they apply in the trailers, and I think that would have worked better. It was um, before they had discovered the Kryptonian ship, if they had set up that, that this is a woman who's been following around this strange thing the whole time and ultimately discovered, I think that would have tied things together better. As it stands, I, th- I like her. I just didn't love the way they used her. So what did you guys think of her, though, finding out about Clark? Because she didn't just find out about, like, Superman. She didn't discover Superman. She discovered that Clark Kent is Superman. Well, I mean, she well, she didn't discover that Clark Kent's Superman. She knows that Clark Kent becomes Superman because she found out Clark Kent before he became Superman. But I honestly, I'm, I'm actually, and this will probably get something in the climax. I'm more curious to see what happens with it in the next film. Yeah, because yeah, I don't really mind it. I, well, I I didn't mind it. I just thought that it was interesting that they did it. Because really, in in pretty much every Superman interpretation, she she doesn't. It's kind of something that she's not able to put together. But this makes it so much more believable. Lois Lane, she's always meeting up with Superman, but she knows that that's Clark. That sets up something that's a lot more believable. Yeah. yeah. And it gets I do back like, like that. That's one of, those, one of those things that they changed it in a way that it still wor- basically works story-wise. Like, I think it will still work fine in, this, in a new dynamic of her being aware of Clark Kent and Superman. So that's one of those things I don't really mind. One thing that does irritate me, though, her and Henry Cavill have almost no chemistry. Um, I, 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 uh, <laughs> I, 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 I supposed to expand on it until they kissed. I didn't even realize 
realize that they were having a romance. I mean, I, I assume this was just, okay, this person, you know, Lois is fascinated by this mysterious figure as you find out who he is and sees him as a hope of humanity. I mean, there was, there was very little point in this movie where I saw this, where I saw her as being interested in Superman romantically. I and hate, when it happens, it feels like one of those things that, again, it feels shoehorned in. I hate to keep disagreeing with you, but I don't see that either, because her fascination leads to, to, leads to her ultimate uh, love of him. And so I had seen that happening when he otherwise says, all right, I have to go stop the, uh, I have to go stop the world engine. And when he goes away to go do that, you see her just looking at him like, wow, there he goes. So I, I don't know. I, I felt that it was building up throughout the whole film. And as far as and as far as Superman liking her, I think that that could be easily sort of accepted because he was like, "Hey, someone who's not my mom and dad who accepts me for who I am." <laughs> I I think I think that's part of it. I also think it's part of the fact that she is kind of intelligent and daring in this film. Like again, she tracks him down and finds him. So it's one of those things where I think he just it's kind of, it's something that draws him, and he's intrigued by her because. She is unlike any other human he's met before. Everybody kind of shrieks away from him and his powers, and she's actively seeking him out. Because, I mean, how many people before her has he saved that never really mentioned or went looking for him or even found him? Right. Yeah. I, I, think, it's le- I think it's less to do with the story set of I think they're building towards a, late, towards a relationship to the character that I don't think is a romantic one. And I think that's partially because I don't really... You know, just the way that Cavill and Adams played off each other didn't really feel very much like a relationship in that way. Like, it felt very awkward and unfocused. That sounds like a relationship. It doesn't sound like a Hollywood relationship, but it does sound like a relationship. Like, I mean, they both don't really know what to expect from the other one, and... I mean, it seems like it's a relationship that's doomed to fail you anyhow. I mean, she even goes out of her way to say, they say it goes downhill from the first kiss, and then she watches him snap a neck, so. Oh boy, we touched on that one now. <laughs> but we'll, we'll come back to that in a bit. Um, so yeah, I mean, they meet up, she finds out who he is, she gets arrested because she won't tell them who he is, or, you know. Oh, at this point, Zod has kind of come to Earth. And he's looking for that Kryptonian. And this Dang. is... This, this, he's looking this, for the Kryptonian MacGuffin yeah, thing. This, this, this is this, where this. another one of my issues comes in. Of Why did they overcomplicate? I, I I actually like Zod's whole entrance. I, mean, I know how this sounds, but when you're talking about what ostensibly amounts... Am I catching you guys right now? Uh, you're talking. <laughs> okay. I was confused because I thought, I thought David had dropped off. No, but yeah, it, it it was a little weird for a minute. But yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying, that, that it otherwise felt a little like drawn out or whatever. But but I really did like, like Zod's... Like, like the... <sighs> It felt like it was an like an impending invasion, but that wasn't what the purpose of this movie was. I, I, did, I didn't mind his entrance. It's the Codex, the Kryptonian Codex. Yes, that that, that feels like one of those things that, like, you could remove that, and the basic plot 
with the basic plot, and well, even the story would still plot the same. I mean, he's looking for a place that a planet that he can terraform into a new Krypton, and even without that whole codex genetic code everything, I mean, that could that could you could remove that as an element of the plot, and in a way, the whole predestined birth thing too, and it really and, and, and the whole story of Superman having to protect this new home he's come to rather than the one that is technically his people. That storyline would have worked. And probably worked a good bit better without the codex. I don't, which I still don't really understand. I, I don't understand everyone's criticism of it. Because the thing is, it makes Clark special and gives them a reason to launch into this whole thing. Clark's forging his own destiny and he has his Kryptonian race built into him genetically. See, that, see that's the. Like, everything up to he has his Kryptonian race built into him, I'm going with. And then it's like, <laughs> that's, really, that's kind of. Weird. Well, I, I, I mean, I understand the criticism, but but I don't. I, I understand that criticism. I don't understand where people who are like like I read a review of this, and it was such a scathing review. The guy was like, "Oh, I got so tired of the Codex," and it's like, I thought it worked. I, maybe I missed something, but I thought it worked. It, it was the thing that propelled him to 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 Earth. Like when I watched the trailers and Zod says, "I will find him," I thought, "What what is the point?" But when he has the codex with him, it, it changes it changes things, and it also helps to kind of set up why Zod it has this one tracked mind to do everything he's doing because the codex, as explained, sets aside each individual's purpose for society, and Zod's purpose was to serve Krypton as a soldier. <laughs> it, 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 it makes sense. It's just really, it's an odd plot point, I think. And I I get that they they're trying to do it, and I think it does answer one of the key questions that have always kind of you know been an issue with Superman's origins. It's like why him? Why was he sent to Earth? Why did his you know like usually it's usually because his parents didn't have time, or they built a I never got why they built a ship that can only fit an infant. <laughs> um, but here it's like it specifically it's mentioned that they built like it was built because Clark has the DNA of all the Krypton inside of him, so he needed to survive. But yeah, I think the whole Codex, like I don't even know, like I don't know what you could have done. I like it needed to be in the movie because, like you said, it does tie into the destiny and you know choosing your own fate and becoming the man you want to be and not the one you're destined to be. That makes sense, but the whole Codex thing was just, especially when the MacGuffin turned out to be a MacGuffin, because the Codex that they were trying to build up as a MacGuffin wasn't actually the MacGuffin. It's the, it's that it's all inside of Clark, and he don't need. Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> yeah, it's it one of those things where I think this is a, I think this is a problem that crops up sometime in a lot of blockbusters where you, you've basically got a pretty simple, simple story that you try and give the you try to give the fake notion that it's more complex than it is by adding extra, extra secondary sub elements to tie things all together very together harder that really don't need to be there. I mean, I don't think super. You know, there needs to be a reason that Clark Kent is specifically special as a Kryptonian. I think he works as just because he's any old Kryptonian, and then he's sent there to be, you know, as the last hope of his people. And I don't think you need to add in this extra justification beyond that. I mean, it just feels very, un- like, unnecessary overcomplication, as if they're not expecting people to just buy into this is what this guy is. Okay, but what I would say, though, is your critique 
is sort of what I'm I'm seeing where a lot of people are giving this film where it's like, well, it it, it didn't do what I thought it should have, which which is funny to me because it's like this whole take on Superman is and I, I said this on Twitter, and I'm I'm slightly joking, and I'm slightly refer- I'm referring to Batman, but it, it's not the it's not the Superman movie you, you deserved, but the one you needed. And and what I mean by that is this this certainly wasn't the Superman movie I I really really wanted, but it's the one that's going to get me through until they figure it out. Like I I don't I, I like more the concept of focusing on on Superman from the drama aspect. This focus on it from the action aspect. That's fine because it worked. And so to me, it's like I, I find it funny where it's like where it's like a lot of the criticisms for the film tend to be. It's almost like well, it's not it's not what I would like of Superman. And what's funny is is it's like but this is their interpretation of it. Just roll with it. Yeah, and, and I'm like I said, I'm with most of the movie. I, it doesn't. It doesn't distract. It doesn't. You know, it's not something that's like breaks the movie. It's not a reason I'm going to hate the movie. I just find it. I just found it to be a really kind of awkward. Um, yeah. Like it, it doesn't add much to it. It doesn't add much to the backstory. It doesn't add much to the character. I, I think I figured it out. It's because it adds more exposition, and in a movie that's already way overloaded with exposition. It's just too much. I mean, so much of the movie is just spent with with characters explaining their backstory motivation. And wouldn't it work so much better if you just show more who this person is and what why they're doing what they're doing? I mean, if you have to explain why a character's doing what they're doing, not just show it, then I think you then you have a problem with your storytelling. Well, but that was sort of the whole Nolan approach to to comic book movies anyway, was sort of kind of to keep explaining it. And to kind of see, keep... I, see, I, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't agree, but I don't want to turn this into a Batman Begins comparison cast. But um, yeah, I guess moving on, it's like it's, it's a great introduction. It's just a really odd plot point with the MacGuffin, other Codex, as it's called in this film. So yeah, it's it, the, the one thing that the original Codex, I don't even know if it has a proper name does give us is that we get Ghost Jor-El for like the next hour showing up. You don't want to realize we never touched on? What? Russell Crowe. Oh, Russell Crowe. I think he's really, really good as Jor-El, and I I love the fact that he's really good, and I'm never at once thinking of Marlon Brando. I mean, you're following up one of the greatest actors of all time, and you're somehow able to reach a point where I'm never thinking, man, I sure miss Marlon Brando. I'm like, no, this guy works and he works real like in a way I almost prefer him as the father figure they set up. You mean over yeah. over Kevin Costner? No, yeah. over oh. I was about to say I, I, I and I think you know it's a duality between the two, but yeah, I I like him. I like the fact that it, he didn't just interact with Shark. Um, I like him controlling the ship, even though again I don't know how much precautions he took. Um, I mean, granted, they did give us the that he built this ship, so that's why he's able to, you know, that's why he was able to kind of retro control it. Yeah, I do love that scene where he's with Lois, which I guess, which I guess will come up later. But I did think that was a really fun bit. Yeah, well, I mean, we can talk about it now because it's one of those things that, again, not not while watching the movie, but thinking about it now, it's like. How did he know? Like he was predicting, like he was predicting everything. Like I get that it's his conscious and his soul, but like, I, it was. 
this is something that goes unexplained, but this is was always my uh, idea was what they what they did with the Kryptonian technology was kind of wrapped Jor-El's consciousness in a computer program to assimilate what he would do. Now that yeah, they essentially they, they created an version. More it's all right. Here's them programming a version of Jor-El that can tell Clark Kal-el what he need, might need to know. So I, th- I think that works. Well, I mean, I mean, it works in the film. Like I never had any problems with it. It's just thinking about it now. It's just really because it's like telling always to like move your head, shoot left, and I'm like, yeah, like there's certain stuff. Like I don't know how much your conscience would be able be aware of that, but I guess if it, if it's tied into the ship and stuff like that, that might make some sense. Just just to quickly touch up on it though, I I'm not overly a huge fan of Russell Crowe. I did think that he did very, very well in this, and I, I, I really bought him as the fatherly figure, and I think that they set up so perfectly, um, uh, and I don't know if they're going to do this, but I think that they set up so perfectly a future Fortress of Solitude, because they really can't leave Jor-El's character alone from here. He has to come back. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it might cheat the purpose of this film, because, I mean, part of it is that Zod kills his personality, his consciousness, when he takes over the ship and the quote-unquote Phantom Zone. It's, I mean, it, it really kind of kills off all of his Kryptonian ties in this film, with this film by the end. Yeah, I, I do like that. Like, that's one thing I have issue with a lot of Superman material, is that he's supposed to be the last son of Krypton, yet there are a strangely large amount of Kryptonians flying around. Here that I do like that the setup at the end of the movie is essentially Superman, well, and all the genetic material of all the Kryptonians or whatever that was, and um, apparently the prequel comic actually sets up that um, that ship he found that was actually her ship from a attempted colonization back early on, and then all those pods were like the dead colonists, and that one empty one was the one she was in. Oh, okay. Yeah, Wait, so, who's she? Who's she? Um, you know, Supergirl. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, You're kidding. They're going to set up Supergirl in this? They did, in the prequel comic. Oh, my God. It's actually real, but yeah, that's who drove that that ship some thousands of years ago in Kryptonian attempts at colonization. Then she crash-landed there and I guess was in hypersleep. And then at some point, she had walked out and then everyone else was dead. I guess sort of like in Planet of the Apes where they had the one that one pod where the female passenger had died and then the rest of them just got out. Here it's everyone died except for her. So yeah, it looks like Kara Zor-El might show up in the future. Oh my gosh, this is going to be the Supergirl movie. Because yes. that's where she came from. She came from the water. Now we know how her ship got there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my god. I didn't, I didn't know about that at all. I don't know how I even feel about that. I, I mean, it's nothing for the movie. It's just kind of... Like, they do mention that the ship's been here for thousands of years or something like that. Yeah, but I, that went totally over my head. I'm thinking, I don't know what that means. But I, I just... There are certain things that I omit in some of these films because I, I typically have a rule. I'm not going to go to the theater twice to see the same movie. So I just wait until DVD to watch the hell out of it. Yeah, yeah. that's something I only noticed because I had seen someone have mentioned it. But another, I guess, minor point while we're on the, on the subject of Supergirl, one, one unusual thing I thought it had in common with that was the product placement. <laughs> Which I didn't find that out of place here, because a lot of it was just kind of like backdrops. 
think I think maybe the IHOP scene was a bit much. Um, yeah, it's one of those things that I always I find annoying in movies when it's really you know blatant and painful. Like I think iRobot's one of the worst examples. Here it's more just yeah. amusing that they had so much of it. Like Warner Brothers marketed this heavily because they really wanted it to be a hit, but they put in a bunch of product placement because they're really afraid it might not be. Um, but you know, I actually did watch something with uh, Zack Snyder. And he was talking about the fact that that that, that was to, to try and set Superman on Earth. I don't know. I, I felt like I certainly felt that it was product placement while I was watching it. But when you listen to him say it, it was almost like it wasn't meant to be product placement. It was just that you know you're dropped into the streets, and this feels like someplace that you could actually end up. Yeah, that I mean, it, that's why I didn't have a problem with it because it worked. Because like, yeah, it makes sense that he's walking on the streets of Kansas and there's a Sears in the backdrop. Or that somebody works at an IHOP or there's a U-Haul truck on the street. So it works in that sense. But I do agree. It's kind of over. Because there were like certain scenes like, that's so. Like, there's a scene, I think, where he's standing in front of like an IHOP and a Walmart with an American flag in the background. And it's like, yeah, okay, you know, that's a bit heavy-handed. <laughs> but I get, I get what they're going for. Um, yeah, it's one of those things where if you do it right, it'll make the world feel more authentic and, you know, more part of our world and less of a movie world. And if you do it wrong, it feels like they're trying to sell you know ketones, which it leans a, leans a little slightly too hard on the advertising side, but not too bad that it's really a major issue. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those... It, it, it was jarring to see at times, but it's not something that took me out, out of the movie. So, I mean, I'm all, I'm all for it if it's not, like, you know, it's not like James Bond using his bio computer and making sure, you know, he has a son Erickson's phone and Will Smith wearing his retro Converse, yeah, 2005 <laughs> or whatever. Because that's, that's like, hey, look, I'm wearing this product and you have to know what the name is. Um, so, yeah. And I, I mean, I'm granted we're jumping ahead, and we've seen this once. I don't remember exact details, but we do get to the fight in. Well, actually, no. He gets captured by. He gives himself up. And to, yeah. To the U.S. government, yes. To the U.S. government, um, and at this point, they give him up to Zod, and he's aboard his ship, and he realized this was. I mean, this makes sense. Um, that he's not a Justice Kryptonian the Kryptonian atmosphere, so he's weak when he goes aboard their ship. And they use this as a way to kind of peer into his head and see that he won't join their cause, so they decide to kill him. Is that what happens, or... No, yeah, you're right. That's oh, yeah, right. They, okay, yeah, they decide to kill him, but, yeah, this is when they always finds out about Jor-El, and they're able to come into the ship and give us Earth gravity, and then he kicks the scientist's butt... The scientist who really doesn't get much to do much in this film. <laughs> um, and, yeah, then you kind of find out... Um, they find out about Superman's human parents, and he they go to attack uh, Ma Ken, and this gives us the best action scene in the film, I think. The fight in Kansas. Oh, I think it's the best by a long shot. I think one thing I really like about it is that it shows that Clark isn't really used defining this point. Like, he feels very... It feels like a very untrained kind of thing. Like, this genuinely feels like the first time he's actually had to use his powers in an all-out brawl, and it makes it a lot makes it a lot more satisfying than I think some of the later stuff is. 
I think the reason this fight works more, I mean, one, it's a brutal fight and it's very visually pleasing. I think the reason it works better in the climax, though, is that there's actual stakes here. I mean, it starts off with Superman coming in at the last moment to save his mom from Dodd and his army. And then you kind of get the army in play. And at this point, the army doesn't know which side to trust. So mm-hmm. it's like three players. One of them's completely outmatched here, but you have three different teams at play here and everybody's trying to figure out their agencies and it's just really I mean like the whole setup besides I love the moment when he comes to rescue his ma but the moment of like the old west with him and them walking on the streets and he's like get off the street it's not safe it's not safe it just had this really great build up to it (laughs) yeah I think that's part of the reason I think it's the best action scene in the film is because it it is one of the times that you definitively show him trying to protect people like he's not just def- he's not just fighting off Zod and the other and his Kryptonian army he's actually on multiple occasions making an actual effort to protect the population and keep them out of harm's way in a way yeah and it's a great um it's a great scene visually like I said before it's also nice to see we've mentioned before that you don't get to see him use his powers that often um, it's great to see him use it, but it's also great to see the other ones who don't have the same restraint he does. Because, again, when Fiara, whatever her name is, the, <laughs> the female Kryptonian, when she starts to kick the butt of the, um, when she starts to kick the butt of the army folks, she just takes so much joy in it. And to see her move so quickly in between them and taking them out. And also, and this is probably not something that you guys probably noticed, but the way that the, her mask came on and so her hair was kind of covering her eyes a little bit, as a design note, oh my god, that's brilliant. Their suits were so perfect. It was like, it really, it didn't feel like what it did in Superman 2 where it was like, okay, so these people are apparently like Superman and they're here. It, it, it played the concept where it's like they're using their alien technology and whatever, and it just felt scary. Yeah. Yeah, I think the design of all, all them and with their Kryptonian army works because, you know, for all the things Amir said with the Grey, they definitively look like soldiers. They they look like they are an alien army. Yeah. Which they were. <laughs> I did like that they're, that the whole thing was a like Kryptonian battle armor. It wasn't just like where you... Ran, like, I mean, that's where his shield comes from. That's where his suits come from. It's the under armor of their armor, and that's what he's wearing. I don't know where the cape comes from, but that's another point altogether. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's it, it was a great fight to watch. Um, I forget how it ends. Um, that we find out, and this he did this with Zod earlier, is that uh, removing their helmets again desensitizes them to Earth's atmosphere. Why they have the powers, they aren't accustomed to it, so it kind of just soaks in everything. And then she get she gets misoed, um, which I thought was the death of her, but no. Yeah, they dragged her off into the ship, if I remember right. Yeah, and then she kind of they heal her. That's what and I thought was funny is here they have such inhumanity for all of the Earthlings, but they do show humanity for their own because they they quickly picked her up and dragged her on in. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, then I. F- really forget where the rest of the movie goes from here <laughs> until the climax. It it goes over from there and and he goes home to Ma Kent and says, Are you okay? And she and he finds out that basically she she was only collecting the like the scrapbooks and things of him uh from the rubble of her house and she explains that she's fine. Lois shows up and uh 
and he otherwise works in tandem now with the military to try and launch a full-on attack to the Kryptonian army. Oh, I yeah. was also going to say that this is something that comes up a, a bit, but they kind of cross over. She 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 doesn't show up on her own. She shows up for the police. She's calling him Clark because at this point he doesn't have a name. I also hate how he gets his name. It's just randomly dropped by that, somebody. That, oh. that, yeah, that did feel a little jarring. He's just Superman, and then he says what? And he says that's what they're calling him. When? When? When did that happen? Yeah, like I've always been a fan of you always giving him the name. Um, but yeah, that, but, and he mentions at the end, like the second they had seen, he grew up in Kansas and I'm like, yeah, you're just kind of giving them all types of hints as to who you are at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I, I did think that when she, when she, yeah, when she was with a police officer and she's calling him Clark and, and it's like, there were so many parts where she calls him Clark. I'm thinking he's, he's pretty, they, they've got to be with this. So I'm just throwing away the Kent secret identity, but no, they, they revealed that. They revealed that no, that's what they're going to go with. He, he's Clark Kent. So I, I did feel like that was a little jarring, but but ultimately something that you could overlook. I'm sure in all the panic and disarray of an, and of an impending alien invasion, I'm sure that they probably wouldn't care too much what she was calling him. Yeah. So I mean that was, but yeah, and he's working with them, and he devised a plan again. Another kind of random thing where his ship turns out to be a Phantom Zone driver. So they can use that to crash in and will, I guess, pull them back in. I, does it only pull in people who've been in the Phantom Zone? Because it doesn't really... Like, I guess he struggles against it when he's safe and always, but it doesn't pull him back in. Yeah, that gets to be the struggle of, uh, of, of to me, of some of these longer films. Is Somehow I managed to lose the, some of the details. It may become clear to me after I watch this on DVD or... or at some point a second time, but right now, yeah, I don't know exactly exactly what it was supposed to do. All I know was by by him flying the ship into it, it was supposed to create sort of a black hole, and it was going to get rid of them. I don't know yeah. if it necessarily meant all Kryptonians so much as it just meant anyone who was in the blast. I think yeah. what it might have been, and I'm not certain, I'll have to you know, rewatch this when it comes out in a couple months, but I think what it might have been was they were going, because... Zod and Co. had retrofitted their the thing that sent them into the Phantom Zone to use as an engine, you know, to sort of power the thing. So in turn, they I think by crashing into the ship in some way or another, because of the way that they had modified it according to Jor-El's instructions, they managed so that it would work in reverse and then turn into a Phantom Zone portal. But I don't I don't think it was specifically targeted. I think it was just sucking up the general area. And because the plot requires everyone requires only the Kryptonians to be sucked up, then that's why it did. And that's one of those not too annoying, it just feels like an over... Just be like, okay, just say, hey, this is going to send them back. It feels like there's too much exposition to explain something really simple. Yeah. But, I mean, it works for the most part, and we get the... We mentioned before, we get the um, army guy getting his heroic moment. Yeah. And I was I was disappointed they killed us as scientists because I'm I'm used to Emil Hamilton being such a big part of Superman because of the animated series. I thought he would survive, but no, he goes bye bye. I totally forgot he died. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I was yeah, would have been for the character. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm fine either way. Yeah, I think it would have been interesting. Like they could have theoretically kept him around to maybe, you know, be one of those conjoining characters to sort of connect different DC movies together. But it, it seems like right now, because Warner Bros. was just focused on trying to get this one to work without really making direct attempts at sowing future seeds, other than, like, the Supergirl bit, it seems like, it, you know, they weren't really thinking in that one regard either way. So I think he's fine. Yeah. 
um, and then kind of becomes the oh, and and along this way, and we didn't really mention Perry White. I don't know if everyone's first burning in the role, um, but I thought that this this and this is part of the reason this the the when Superman's doing the whole world builder, destroyer, cedar thing in Majiki. Like, we have the scene with Orange Fishburne, a character named Jenny, who I didn't know her name until this scene, and Steve Lombard, who I thought was an odd casting choice, but whatever, he's not a major character to begin with. Yeah, I didn't but, understand it, but yeah. Well, he's a character, from, he's like he's a macho sports dude in the comics, but... The, oh, the, the, oh. The, oh, okay, I see. Yeah, that, 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 that's not what comes off, um... <laughs> Yeah, because I guess I just expect the dude to be, you know, sort of macho and big, but yeah. Okay. I didn't catch that, but okay. Yeah, but I like I wasn't invested in any of these characters and then you kinda of put their lives in jeopardy. I'm like, why am I supposed to care? Yeah. I mean the the feel here was to try and I think it was supposed to be like Superman's Superman's inspiring greatness, like on a on a street level. Like here's this guy who can't just give up on this woman, he you know, they have to try and come back and save her. But it didn't necessarily feel like something that was actually inspired by Superman. It just sort of felt like a moment in there. Yeah, it's one of those things where I think that was that probably was what they were trying to do. But I don't think it really had like the full setup they did to work. And putting that amongst an action scene that I did not like as much, anywhere near as much as the fight in Smallville, I think also sort of undoes that. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, I, mean, I get that they're going for an emotional moment. I just wasn't invested in any of these characters enough to care. Um, and they wouldn't kill off Perry White. I mean, Jenny, maybe. But, uh. Yeah, I read there was a rumor for a while that she was actually... Jimmy uh, Olsen. Yeah, like a female swap Jimmy Olsen, which it seems like she could theoretically occupy a Jimmy Olsen-style role in a sequel that has more Daily Planet in it. So I wouldn't be surprised if she shows up to do something like that in the next one. Yeah, I mean, it's a possibility, because they do... But, yeah, like I said, you don't earn her name until this scene, and as far as I know, you don't know what she does at Daily Planet, she, if she's a photographer, if she's a writer, if she's Perry's assistant. Like, I don't know anything about her, and we're supposed to care if she gets killed. Um, so, yeah, I don't... But, yeah, then we kind of get the climax, and... <laughs> yeah. This, <laughs> this was... Is, this was a. This was the the whole climax to me. Did what I really loved about this, and you mentioned it on Twitter. It was it it it, it didn't really feel like a comic book movie. I mean, of course it was, but it, it felt like more of just a perfect science fiction movie. And I don't mean that as any discredit to it. I loved it, but but using the world engine to terraform Earth's atmosphere. That to me was like, oh my gosh, like this is straight out of a science you know science fiction novel. To me, it was perfect because it's like. This and it's going to kill all of the humans, and it's only going to leave the Kryptonians, and they're going to rebuild. And this, I just felt like that was so perfect. I loved it so much. That whole thing. Yeah. It, 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 okay. It's two things. It's I think the fight is great. It's a very again. It's a very fishy piece and fight. He gets to use his powers. I have the same way. Like he melts the beam, and then thought just uppercuts him with it anyhow. Yeah. I just feel like again, there's no stakes at this point. There's nothing. I feel like they don't get the emotional stakes until the very last scene with Zod and him in the, I guess, the train station, it looks like. A kind yeah. of port authority. Yeah. Because it's just them crashing through buildings and smacking each other. I, I get Zod's motivations. At this point, he's lost everything. He has no motivation. His life purpose has been destroyed. So he's just out for blood. 
and Superman's just kind of punching him. So, yeah, Superman. Yeah. Superman's just trying to to stop the bleeding at this point. Yeah, I think my problem, like the reason I don't think this full fight of fighting the the whatever the planet terraformer, I guess reverse terraformer, because it's making it less like Earth, and then the fight with Zod is, it feels like a Dragon Ball Z fight, and which is what we wanted. Um, see, I mean, my problem like have- isn't that it goes over the top. Like, I do, in theory, I like a lot of the way it sets up, even if I think it's, it relies a lot too much on shaky cam, which, considering Zack Snyder, usually, in, in his movies, usually avoids that and focus on making really beautiful shots. I think it's kind of annoying. But uh, the reason I think that really makes this fight work far less than the Smallville one is Superman isn't trying to protect people. Like, you go back to to, to both the Smallville fight and then various other... Uh, fight scenes throughout different super movies, even Superman 4, for instance, you have Superman is attempting to protect the people while also defeating this. I mean, you know, yeah. you go back to the Zod fight in Superman 2, he's actively trying to lead Zod away from the population. Here, he's just throwing him through building on top of building on top of building, and it's exciting on a basic, on sort of a basic action scene level, but as a dramatic moment, I feel like it just falls very flat. Here's what I find funny. People keep nitpicking Superman for it, but they. But to my knowledge, nobody ever nitpicked it, the Avengers for it. Well, I think with the Avengers, I mean, you watch that, and there is a lot, like there is a lot of attempt to, for them to keep from you know hurting and destroying everyone. I mean, one of the best scenes within the movie, within that final action scene, is that it with uh, Captain America in that like train station area where he's fighting off the uh, Skrull stand-ins um, in defense. People and you know, I think that's part of what works is that there is a fairly consistent, active attempt to keep people from getting hurt. And here it feels like there's a near constant ramming through building after building after building, and it just feels very un-Superman-y. I don't, I don't know if it's necessary un-Superman-y because I mean we've seen Superman do massive destruction in Metropolis before. I mean that's part of. I mean Justice League touched on it a couple of times. The difference was that Justice League touched on the aftermath. Like there's the fight in the episode, I think, um, Crash, where he takes on Captain Marvel, or Cap- yeah, Captain Marvel, and it's like he does all this destruction, and he's like, and next is like, oh, don't worry, this is one cost. And he's like, you know, he feels bad about the all the destruction he caused, and Bruce is like, he'll pay for it or whatever, because you know he's Bruce. Um, I feel like that's kind. Of, I feel like that the problem isn't that he's driving through these buildings and stuff. It's like I mean, in the middle of the fight, and you have to realize these people are going really fast. Is that he probably doesn't have time to think about it until? Well, yeah, this think, is this is his first adventure as Superman. Yeah, and I think this is, and I think this is why the final scene, the scene that causes a lot of controversy oh. with him oh, and Zod here. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh. You didn't like this. I am not against the possibility of someone like Superman or Batman taking someone's life. The problem is, I think it needs to be a really good dramatic setup for it and an actual payoff of consequences. Here, I don't think there really was. I mean, this whole action scene, Superman hasn't really been trying to keep this fight out of harm's way. I mean... The only one Zod's going after right now is Superman. So ideally, he could, you know, find a way to draw this fight away from the city, and then he's not. So it makes him suddenly 
suddenly then remembering, oh yeah, it has to protect these people. It just feels very fake and forced when he then snaps a man's neck. <laughs> I, 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 I will go back just a bit and say I disagree with you to an extent because, again, this is a this, this is played up as one of his first major fights, and it's probably not something... I, again, I think it depends on what they do with the sequel, but I think it's one of those things where he probably wasn't aware of what his damage he was doing. I mean, he does try to take this fight into space. He tosses Zod into space, and they fight near the satellite and stuff before they come crashing back to Earth and stuff like that. So it's not like he tries to keep the fight in Metropolis at all times. But I think what happens, and I think this is why the scene works for me, is that he comes back and he finally realizes that these people are in direct threat of Zod. <laughs> and he's trying as much as he can to plead with Zod. I have no idea what he wanted. Like, if Zod was to stop, would he put him in jail or something? But, um... It, it gives it it gives it human stakes because he can't let these people die because they are on his watch and this is the first time I think he's actually seeing that in this fight. I was surprised that they went with it because I, I whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow ends with Superman saying when Superman decides who lives and dies Superman must must stop the the legend of Superman must 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 end and that was always my idea of Superman. I wasn't sure how I felt about this at the time it happened, but after I left, I just said, you know, there was really no other way to deal with it. I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I, I, I was going to say, it also continues the legacy of Superman films because we've been through, this is our sixth Superman film, and they have yet to figure out a way to actually end them without causing some type of controversy. So Yeah, I forget. How did he deal with Zod and Superman 2? See, that's the thing that a lot of people uh, yeah. are... Yeah, he had used the depowering thing, and and then he had, I guess. And in in the in the actual movie, he tosses them off oh, the and edge. Now he I love- yeah, I felt like I I mean I knew about this next snap going into the film because I had read the spoilers, um, but I felt like it's if you take it out of context, it kind of sucks. But again, watching it in the film, they they put him in the ultimate no win situation. I mean, granted, he probably could have just covered up Zod's eyes or something. Yeah. Well, that was what I read after the fact, um, was that they were sort of just like, well, well why, why exactly couldn't he have just tried to, tried to take him away from there or something? And it's like, because it would have never ended. Zod now has the powers of Superman. What, what do you think he's going to go do? How do you think, yeah. how do you think they're going to stop him? He's just going to keep terrorizing people because now he's out to get Kal-El specifically. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's something that Zod specifically, well, not calls out, shouts out, so he ends, if you die, or I die. Yeah, he, and, like, so, so he put all his cards on the table, you, either you're going to kill me, or I'm going to kill you. And the thing is, is it's like, people are like, I, I've read a lot of people where they're like, I just didn't like this. What was he going to do? I mean, I, I've read it where, where some people were like, oh, but, you know, a superhero should never, should never have to make that choice. There's always another way. But, you know, but the, but the whole point of this film was to set the stakes and say, this, this is a very real Superman. This is a very, very real take on this character. Yeah, I, um, I mean, it's, kind of, it's again, you know, again, the Batman Begins comparisons, as much as I want to avoid them, kind of keep on cropping up. It's the same situation with... Um, Roz and Batman in the first one is that you put the, they're put in an ultimate no-win situation, and in Batman's case, he had a way out. He didn't have to kill him, 
but he doesn't necessarily have to sh- save him. This one, there are people who are going to die if he doesn't do anything. Yeah, but I think the reason, another part of the, the reason it really doesn't work is that there really isn't any personal consequences to it. Like, not, not in terms of plot things, but he, he doesn't really feel like he has any guilt over, t- over taking Zod's life, even if it was one of those no-other-choice things. Like, I, I don't need him to feel moody and depressed about it, but I, I feel like he should at least, you know, ha- have some time where he's working over the fact that he just did this kind but of, isn't this, that, this kind isn't of that, thing. Isn't wasn't that his initial reaction? It was like the whole, he started crying out when he did this. It's not like he's like, oh, yeah, I snapped his neck. Yeah, but then the very next scene is a jokey bit with the military. Like, it's a really frustrating tonal change of this thing that doesn't get addressed very properly. Well, okay, think, okay, which, I, which is actually my one of my criticisms, actually, just one of my good criticisms for the whole thing. There, it has such a re- weird ending to me, an ending where all of a sudden it just kind of falls through. Because, okay, we get him, and it's sort of like what James said, he's upset, he's emotional about the loss of, of, well, you know, because he had to take Sod's life. And then he turns around, and and the scene ends, and then he's in the cemetery looking at Jonathan Kent, and he's there with his mom. And then it goes over to him taking down a drone because they're trying to figure out where Superman lives. I just sort of felt like, you know, they sort of had three or four epilogues to go with, and they were just kind of trying to get as many in as possible. I, I didn't, like, and then ultimately the ending with, okay, so so when you're not saving the world, what are you going to be? And it ends with him running into the elevator. I like that. I thought it was fine. But I ultimately felt like, again, like, how many epilogues were there in this thing? So to me, it, it had a bit of an ending to me which, which let me down. I, I, I like the final scene. I, I mean, it probably could have exercised the military scene. Um, but I do think that, and I feel like this is, again, important. And I hate, I don't want to be that guy, but I feel like a lot of this stuff depends on what avenue they take with the sequel. If he kills somebody and it becomes a non-issue in Superman, the Man is still too. I think that's a problem. But if this is the reason that he decides that Superman cannot be judge, jury, and executioner, like, I would just to for that family to kind of say, we understand why he did it, but at the same time, he frightens us because he has that power. And yeah. I would just see a world that, like, they kind of trust him, but they do still fear the amount of power he has. And I think this would be the great, this would be a great avenue to pick up with Lex Luthor because it is a human who realizes the fear that Superman can cause and he is trying to protect mankind from them. Again, I've always liked the villain who's, who makes a case for believing in what they believe in and I think if you did this with Luthor where in his mind he's like, look at this power this man possesses. How is mankind supposed to fight back against it? And he starts doing this stuff. That's a great place mm-hmm. to go with the sequel. Yeah, I think a lot of it does depend on how they go with the sequel as to whether or not this this moment will work in the long run with its with its lack of immediate consequence. As it stands now, as a standalone film, I don't think it works very well. But um, did you guys notice the uh, the Easter eggs that they put in? I noticed the X Corp one. Everybody mentions the Wayne Enterprises one, but I missed that one. I, yeah, it was it was I, the satellite that him and Zod were fighting nearby had the Wayne logo. I mean, I, I like that they kept them very very simple things. I mean, I think issues with some of the Marvel shared universe movies like Thor and Iron Man two was that they focused too much on setting up world stuff, and that in turn took away from the character arcs of those movies. So I like that they kept them very simple and to the point. What what was the LexCorp reference? I didn't catch that one. There's a van that he crashes through that has Seth's Corp on it. Oh, okay. 
I, you see, I, I didn't. I, I read where some some of the uh, Easter eggs that they found, but I, I never actually caught any myself. Yeah, I, that's the only one I noticed. And everybody says that the um, the satellite has Wayne and surprises on it, but it's. And I think somebody mentioned that the um, the 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 person who says that Superman's hot might have had Jake Ferris on her jacket. So I'm not a hundred percent sure about that either. But I yeah, I but I am very excited at the prospects of of DC trying their hand at what Marvel's been able to accomplish because I, I am super excited to figure out what No pun intended. <laughs> no, 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 no pun intended. I, I am very excited to find out what they're gonna do with this because if I don't really know if the Green Lantern film can tie into this at all or if they even want it to. But with the way that they I, set up, I don't think anyone wants it to. <laughs> well, I, I, I think everyone inv- at Warner Brothers involved is just trying to sort of brush that one really far. This like I don't think they need another green to make another Green Lantern movie to set up a Justice League because I think people, you know, it, it, it's a failure as a movie. But I think people now, like the broad public, understands what Green Lantern is that they can have him show up in the movie without any, you know, a- extra need for introduction beyond like a scene or two. But my point is, though, the Justice League book, like post, you know, New 52, it, it sets up, you know, Cyborg, Wonder Woman, uh, Batman, Superman, Green Lantern, and it sort of sets up those characters. And it's like right now it's like, OK, we could actually get a really good Justice League, mo- uh, Justice League movie off of this Man of Steel. So I, I, feel, I I disagree. I think if I think we need a sequel before we go. Anything. Oh, definitely. But but what I mean is, is we're setting the table at this point. Yeah, yeah. But I yeah, I, I felt like coming out of this, I'm like, yeah, they can't do it. They can't do a Justice League film out of this. They need because I I mean, as much as this is an origin of Superman, I also feel like this is an origin of Clark Kent, and I feel like we need to kind of figure out what that character is in the next movie. Is he going to be the Clark Kent that we saw in this film? Or is he going to kind of revert to that Clark Kent? I mean, it's going to be interesting, as you mentioned, with they always saying knowing his identity, if he's going to kind of be that Clark Kent who tries to bend in by kind of being dorky and shy and aloof. I mean, right now, it seems like they're playing him pretty straight. He's just wearing his glasses in the final scene. But I'm curious to see what that is. And I also do think that we need to give him a more grounded approach, because a lot of this is kind of brand-new stuff. It's... You get scenes with Elwes saying you get scenes with his parents, but for the most part, he doesn't interact with many humans after that. Yeah. So, so yeah, and maybe we'll get the scene because everybody wants Superman saving a cat. <laughs> <laughs> what did you guys think of the uh, film score? Oh, I loved it. Hans Zimmer delivers every time. <laughs> it was a great soundtrack. I love the final thing. And I, I also love the final line. It may be a bit cheesy, but I love the welcome to the planet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it works. I mean, it is the Daily Planet, but it's also a wink, wink, you're an alien type deal. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I thought that, the, that there was just several notes in this that, that just really helped to tie the whole thing together and make it so beautiful. And so to me, I, I, I love this whole thing top to bottom. I, wasn't, I knew it was good as soon as I left the theater. I wasn't sure if it was great. I kind of had to search my emotions. I, I stand here now and I say this movie was great. I love this thing. I assume James isn't since he's so quiet. <laughs> Actually, it's or- because he's dropping in and out. Uh, okay. Well, I I suppose we should come back and finish our ratings of it and close, right? 
Yeah. Okay. There were two things that I wanted to get to, but it doesn't look like I'm going to. Uh, Jonathan's death and General Zod's viral message. So I guess we'll have to just leave Zod's message alone. Did you want to touch on Jonathan's death? Because I know you said you don't like the parents being killed off. Yeah. Just like, uh, just like yeah, we can, no, we can touch on it. I'm I'm torn on this because I don't mind. Like, if his dad dies, I usually don't mind because usually how they pay it up is his, his dad dies in such a manner that he couldn't help, and it's supposed to teach him the lesson that even with all his great powers, he can't help everybody. And in this one, it's kind of played differently because he could have helped him, but it's kind of. Um, it's kind of like fulfilling his father's last wish, where he doesn't reveal himself to the world until he realizes, until the world is ready for that. And it's kind of like, I understand why, but at the same time, it's kind of like, it's your dad. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I also felt like, I, what I loved more about that scene than actually just, um, uh, just, just setting up the whole you know, that he's going to die. Well, what, what I really liked about that scene was the fact that Jonathan was being a hero. They say, go back and get the dog. And then, and then Clark says, I'll do it. And then his dad says, no, no, I'll do it. This isn't safe. I really loved that. Like, I thought that that was such a perfect moment where they were otherwise, like, setting it up like, you know, Clark's inspired to be a hero because of the he- real-life heroes that he has around him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I, I felt that... um yeah, I mean, I get the emotional impact of it, especially in that they set it up with the "you're not my father" bit, and I no. think that that more than anything is like, yeah, you know, like he, he's a, he's an angry teenager, but ultimately he realizes this is his father, and he knows that his father has his best intention at heart. And it even goes back further to one of the earlier flashbacks where he's like, "Should I've made?" You know, and he saves the kids from the bus. He's like, "Should I have made them die?" And he's like, "Maybe," and it's like. He's willing to risk his own life to keep that message up that you shouldn't, um, you, 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 the world isn't ready for somebody like you. Yeah, and and it's and it's otherwise to me, I, I felt like oh, so that's how Jonathan Kent dies in this in this mythos. But but what I liked about it so much was because it was perpetuating the thought of the world will fear you if they find out about you, which which is sort of. Is sort of what he carries into his life. I can't let anyone actually know about me, and so to me that that's what kind of propels the whole thing. Is you know who who it who doesn't feel like a freak, who doesn't feel like an outcast at some point or another in their life, and and so that's what helps to make Superman feel relatable. That's what helps to make his journey feel like we can understand it. It's what helps it to feel so so grand and wonderful that Superman's a man of the people. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I guess that will be it. So, if James is around, I have no idea anymore. It's time to give it a score out of seven. So, David, what do you think? I am... I hate giving perfect scores because, to me, it, it's I, I like to give a lot of time to kind of decompress and, and give my thoughts out there. But to me... I. I have to give this a 7 out of 7. It's just, it was just so good. It delivered on action. It, it gave me the, the 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 soft, intimate character moments with Ma Kent and Pa Kent and the uh, flashbacks. And it also set up an awesome Kryptonian feel and also an, an entire world that exists outside of just Earth. So to me, this delivered on all fronts. I was super skeptical of this thing heading in, but it delivered, and and I loved this. 
Okay. Um, James, are you with us? Uh, I think so. <laughs> okay. So what would you give this out of seven? I am immensely fresh through this film. On the one hand, there are a lot of really good ideas that they're trying here, and there's a handful of things that work really well. Um, we didn't really mention this, but I think the first time that he that he flies is that and the fight in Smallville, I think, are the best scenes in the movie since they're ones that really embody Superman as a protector and Superman as this figure of wonder and awe. And on the other hand... A lot of this, a lot of their the plot points and themes that they try to get across just don't feel very well executed. Like, ending, you know, that ending bit really encapsulates that problem really well. Of it works in theory, but it, I don't think it's set set up well enough, and I don't think it has payoff well enough. It's an immensely frustrating movie. I I honestly don't know if it's good or bad, so I'm gonna go right down the middle and give it a three and a half out of seven. That's just cheating, but okay. <laughs> I mean, technically, is it four right down the middle? Yeah. Because it's three yeah. up, three down. <laughs> we've, we've been through this. Four is, yeah. down, four is down the middle. <laughs> it's an odd number. It's a perfect... E- but uh, anyhow. <laughs> um, yes, and I've said this before. I have a review of one that's not. I gave it a seven. It has problems. I'm not going to deny that. It's not a perfect film. I mean, of course it's, not. I mean, there, every movie's going to have some problems. Yeah, there, there are pro- and there are things that you're going to come out maybe scratching your head about. But overall, from bell to bell, for two and a half hours, I was thoroughly entertained. I have the theater just thinking about all the great scenes and all the great moments in this film. And even, what, four days later, I'm still kind of, you know, giddy about this film. It It's a great film to watch. I think it's amazing to watch on the big screen. I don't know if 3D adds anything to it. Maybe we actually didn't mention what format we saw it in, but it's I, a... I saw it in 2D. Uh, it's a different... Same. It's a different... I saw it for free, so I don't... I Whatever format uh, they give me in. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, the movie's lacking in color enough that having it dimmed further by 3D glasses would have been probably unbearable. Yeah. Well, yeah, I hate 3D glasses. This is another subject just because I wear glasses and it's a pain in the ass to wear on top of them. But <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Um, it's a, you know, it's not, it may not be the Superman story everybody expected, but we've been through enough comic book adaptations to know that you don't want a one-to-one translation. There's no way to do a one-to-one translation. This is Superman's 75th anniversary. There are over a thousand stories featuring this guy. There are five movies a handful of animated series, at least three live-action TV shows, DTVs, video games. So there's enough interpretations and variations on this character to say that if, as long as this character works in this version of this film, as long as it is true to what they created in their vision in two and a half hours, I'm going with it. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed their Superman. I think Henry Cavill shines. I mean, he's not Christopher Reeves, but that's his whole different portrayal that he's going for. Amy Adams is terrific. Um, Michael Shannon kind of hit, you know, he, he's great in the role, he's just been hammy. I have Ma Kent, Pa Kent, Jor-El, Dora, Lawrence uh, Fishburne, and a few scenes he did get. Um, so yeah, it's worth, I think it's worth checking out. It's a fantastic film to watch. So, 7 out of 7 for me. And we didn't stress this as enough throughout the podcast, I don't think, but I really, I really like Cavill as, uh, as Superman. 
I think that he does a, a really, really good job. We don't know yet how he does as far as the Jekyll and Hyde perspective of Kent versus Superman because we because we didn't see that in this movie. But but I, I do think that he has the capacity to pull off both. I was very impressed with him in this. I mean, obviously, besides Reeve, you know, there's only one other Superman and Routh, but but I do think that this is that this is a perfect Superman for the modern era. Yes, yes. So um, that will be it for our Man of Steel cast and our Man of Steel cast series. Um, we may be back in a few weeks with a different project I have in mind, but I want to thank James and David for going where no man has gone before and joining us on this super adventure. Um, so, yeah, thanks for joining us. <laughs> it's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs>